1: Refuses the opportunity to use a he is risen joke. More on this developing story as we have it. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter Yankee Gunner. I mean, look, it's not April yet. It's just not close enough to use that joke. And, you know, frankly, it, it's been used everywhere. I'm sure there is a Jesus joke. That First of all, his name isn't Jesus, right? It's Gabriel Jesus. Now, to be fair, that's probably the Portuguese pronunciation of Jesus, so it would work in Portuguese. The the real point here is there is no original joke to be made about Jesus returning. There's just a celebration to be had. And so I, I struggled with it. You know, I think sometimes we all have a crisis of conscience. We want to do the best we can. We want to be the best people we can. And I decided that it was incumbent upon me to push back Against the urge, against the tide, against the trend of making uh, some kinds of quasi-Easter-related Jesus returning joke. So, I have not made it. I, I invite you to insert your Jesus, insert your Jesus joke uh, here. Okay, I hope you inserted a good one. Feel free to tell me what yours was, and maybe I'll just steal it for the next one. You never know. Um, we are very, very, very close to <clears throat> announcing some live events. The Chicago event has already been announced. Third week end of April. It's on the Chicago Gooners Twitter page. I'll uh, post some information about it in the notes here, a link to that. But basically there's a gala on Friday, a pod on Saturday, um, and a watch on Sunday. Uh, Assuming the game moves to Sunday. It's the Southampton game I believe, which is a Friday game. But assuming we can get past sporting, it will be a Sunday game. And that uh, that event, all the proceeds for the podcast are going to go to our fundraiser, which is going to kick off in April. And we'll have more news on that coming very soon and um something that i'm really excited for us to do now uh there is another event that's about to be announced the final t's are being crossed the final i's are being dotted and that will be announced i believe this week so keep an ear out eye out or both eyes out or both ears out. i don't know for that anyway <clears throat> enough of this nonsense we got a lot of really really beautiful football to discuss and we have to discuss it with paul you can find him on twitter at pause
2: Woohoo! Uh, I'm workshopping a new joke around Gabriel Jesus. It involves a, a a burial cave and a large stone that people are rolling in front of it, as as was in the New Testament, and taking three days to roll the stone away. And that's like kind of like the parking the bus thing, but with Gabriel Jesus. Um. So, still working on that. Might be ready for the next pod or so.
1: You let me know how that goes. We'll, we'll keep an anxious <laughs> ear out for that one. I think it's going to so, kill. I mean, well, yeah, that's another issue. Uh, maybe poor choice of words there. And uh, Tim's on Twitter, Dominator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, uh, no, no need to add to that. Okay, <laughs> so by the way, Clive did appear on the Instant Reaction, which was uh, a good time had by all. As you can imagine, we were in uh, buoyant, bu- bu- buoyant, 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 spirits um at the time <laughs> and uh and we still are so that's a good thing the only thing is that because the clocks have gone ahead in the u.s uh paul and i have uh shit for brains is the best way i can put it because <laughs> we're real tired <laughs> so you know it happens but you know maybe that's not different than ever before so tim mm. there's really no other place to start than the team news and yep. it's interesting how getting a couple of world-class players back available can change the way you look at things because yeah. leading Helps, up to this game it? Yeah, it makes makes a bit of a difference.
3: I've always been a believer that good players are a good thing to have.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. It's kind of like having more talent helps you be a better team. But it, it's, it's funny, right? Because the, the gymnastics mentally were, is it going to be Nelson, Saka, and Martinelli? You know, does he start Smith-Rowe? Does Vieira come into the front three? Those decisions look pretty easy when Troussard's back all of a sudden. And so Troussard's back, Jesus is on the bench, and... A lot of this game is about those two players, and and the, the former in particular. So, I mean that I think that really must have lifted the team to know that he was available. Um, and, and this game, Trissard just came back with a point to prove. It felt um, it's hard to look past that news as a place to start, and in particular Trissard's performance.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I um I, I know I felt better when I saw it. And when Charles Watts broke the story on uh, Saturday evening that Trossard and, and Jesus were both going to be in the squad, in my head that was, well, they're probably going to share the game, um, probably about 70-20. Probably Gabriel Jesus not ready for 60 minutes. But, you know, on on both the instant reaction and the podcast we did after the sporting game, I kind of hinted at the fact that I was a little bit worried. Um, about the forward line not because any of them are bad players but just because they haven't really played together very much I worried about you know the amount of fluidity um, and interchange you get with those players because Nelson's very much a a winger is a winger is a winger you know Um, which is not a slight on him Um, but you know perhaps just hasn't played enough football with that front line yet to really have those like the, that cross pollination that that has really dug us out of a hole recently and I was frustrated because I was thinking god we learned to play without Jesus with Ketia and then teams kind of worked us out with Ketia. so we switched to Trossard and that's looked great and now we've got to think of something else and I was frustrated by it and I was thinking cuz I would have been quite confident about this game just because Again, I think I said this on the main pod, without Palinia, Fulham are a completely different team. Uh, yep. that's Ten goals conceded in the three games he hasn't played this season. So that tells you a lot. And it's not just his quality. It's the fact that they don't have another player like him. I was reading some stuff that um, from Peter Rutler, I think his name is, who writes about Fulham for The Athletic. And he was like, it's not just a quality drop-off. They just don't have another player like that. Um, probably similar to where we were with Thomas Partey before Jorginho was signed. So I I was confident about, and you know, all of Fulham's underlying metrics suggested that they were on a bit of a lucky streak as well. And I saw a bit of their game against Brentford and I thought "We, we can take these, but I was thinking, oh, but we've got a really makeshift front three who haven't really played together that much. And, you know, the positions are going to be more rigid again. So when Trossard was back in, I was like, nice. And you know what else I looked at when I looked at, uh, and, and I felt much more comfortable with that because I think he's been a revelation and we'll get into that. I'm sure. But I, the other thing, it really helped. I looked at that subs bench. Um, and I just, I looked at it and I thought every single one of those players, I'm fine. If they come on, like probably the quote unquote weakest player on the bench was Rob holding, and it's like, well, he's probably not going to have to come on anyway unless we're clinging on to a one-goal lead in stoppage time. But even him, like in that scenario, I'm fine with it. I'm fine for him doing that specific job, maybe nothing else. But I looked at the whole bench and I thought, that that looks good. Like, we we can, regardless of the game state, we can and should use all five subs because all of those players look fine to me to come in so that that's just the other bit of security it gave me but I just think Trossard was a signing at the time I compared to Diogo Jota at Liverpool and I'm still quite happy with that comparison because you have quite a nice front line yep and you think oh that's a really good front line and I'm not really sure but like obviously you need some sense of backup there and the way Liverpool handled it with Jota was brilliant because it's like Jota can fit into any one of those positions, and I think the same about Trossard. He's doing a brilliant turn as a kind of as a false nine and interchanging with Martinelli. But any one of those forwards gets injured, I'm fi- like if Saka's injured, fine with Trossard on the right. Martinelli's injured, fi- like I'm fine with Trossard left like anywhere on that carousel. Yeah. Um, And that that made me feel a, a lot, lot better, definitely.
1: And players are human beings too, right? When you have to start with Nelson and Martinelli at center forward and your only option off the bench is maybe Vieira plays in the front three, like the players may go into that thing. It's going to be a hard day. We just have to fight and find a way through. You know, we don't have all our weapons. Troussard coming back will have lifted them. Certainly would have lifted Martinelli, who's I think looked great since Troussard's coming to the side. But I think seeing Jesus on the bench, knowing, you know, the the players will have had their heads drop a bit when that injury news broke. Maybe everyone except Nketiah, right? Would have had would have had their heads go down a bit. Oh, this was going to be our season. Can we get through it without him? And they knew all along we've got to just find a way to stay top without this guy. And him being back on the bench sends that message, we've we've done it. We made it. We got there. We get through this game. He's properly back. We're still five points clear, with oh, by the way, next weekend a chance to go eight points clear City don't play in the league. And I think that that had to lift the team. But we'll, we'll get to the trio of assists and, and the performance from Troussard in more detail in a bit, Paul. But what I thought was interesting, for about the first 12, 15 minutes of this game, we were sort of trying to figure them out. And I think it must have been interesting in a way, right? It's kind of like it'd be like a zoo animal. With the cage door open, being like, so I can just like go out and maul all these people. Is that is that what you're saying? Like, <laughs> I don't have to stay behind the cage and be nice and hope they give me like I can just go maul all of them. You sure? Because Fulham weren't sitting in a low block, and if you look at what we've faced recently, with the exception of the City game, and even City did it a bit, right? Um, lots of low blocks, lots of congesting the center and forcing us out wide, and. All game of trying to pass it around the final third, trying to probe for an opening while making sure we don't get hit on the counter. And here come Fulham and they push up a bit and they're in more of a mid block. They press a little bit. They try to come out at us a little bit. And for about 12 minutes, I think we were just trying to figure out how to pick the holes. And then we started picking them left, right, and center and played some scintillating football. So Paul, what, what do you think about sort of the way the opening stage is developed and the fact that the team kind of caught on eventually to the idea that the, the, the cage door was open, that we didn't have to spend all, all all game breaking down a low block for a change.
2: Yeah. I love your analogy. Um, I, I think we actually tried to do what we normally do. We just didn't quite get our claws into them mm. for like 14, 15 minutes. Um, and I think maybe this is how Fulham would have played anyway, but um didn't wasn't that basically how they played against us at the Emirates to a degree where they were pressing our back line? They got got a turnover against was a Gabriel uh, fairly early on. Got a goal up, and they must have been thinking, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're playing at home. Why don't we try and strike first and get that goal? Um, they certainly pushed our back line, um, and we did the pressing thing. I wasn't positive that we had done the kind of trying to do the fast start. I don't think we we were maybe fully at it, but we, we did all the pressing stuff. We had Odegaard, Trossard, Saka um, uh, pushing hard, pushing their back line. They'd play through us just a little bit, lose the ball to us. We'd pick it up in midfield. They had the mid block. So for like 14, 15 minutes, we were, getting, we were recovering the ball, but we were recovering it in midfield or a little deeper, playing it around the back, playing it up, back, up, back. I think we saw that, playing it through the lines. And my first thought was maybe our strategy was just to kind of play it up and back and through the lines to move it around the place. I think we were trying to press their back line, but they did a decent job of playing out. Um, And then we got our claws into them. Took us that. uh, The first first time we kind of got into them was that uh, little cross into the six yard box that, uh, Xhaka and Martinelli combined for the, I think went to Leno's hands. Uh, the next moment is like, uh, 16 minutes into it. It's the Martinelli offside. And from there, then all hell breaks loose and the goal is inevitable. We've three corners in a row. We get the two goals, one after the other. Um, yeah, as you say, at some point, the, uh, tiger realizes the gate door is open. <laughs> uh, Nobody's going to stop them, and there's a whole bunch of tourists just standing outside with ice cream and cameras. (laughs) (laughs) We rip them limb from limb, and they just stand there for a while for basically 46 minutes till we get three nice goals, and we... We yeah. go back to our cage, lie down, and groan because our bellies are full. Can I just add to that as well? Like, to I, the analogy
1: I, or to the point? <laughs> to, to the the, point. Al- the analogy. I would say no. Let's no,
3: say. no, no. To the point. But okay, yeah. I, I think immediately after these Europa League away games, yeah. like the first 15 minutes is so crucial, mm-hmm. and Fulham made a massive mistake because they elected to sit off. Whereas, I mean, if I was Marco Silver, I'd be saying first, fifth, like, because generally after a European away game like that, such close proximity teams are, they're not on their metal until about 15 minutes in. And that's when they're vulnerable. And you could kind of see that, like we were, we were patient, we were passing around, we didn't create anything because little bit foggy, a little bit tired. And that's when, as the opposing team, you should go for these teams. And Fulham were very accommodating and decided to sit off. They decided to have a go at us for the first 15 minutes of the second half when it was already over.
1: Yeah, and if you look at this last recent run of games, we've had two really easy laughers of games where we where we were dominant. Everton in this one. And we got an opening goal, right? Once you get an opening goal, you change the dynamic, right? Everton we go into half with a two-goal lead and they really had nothing for us in the second half. In this game, again, once we got the lead, you know, whatever Fulham were trying to do, it it worked less and less and less. And, and I, I just think that makes such a difference against teams that want to just stifle you, want to frustrate you. Look at, look at City. I mean, we think of City as this juggernaut, but if Michael Olise doesn't completely lose his marbles and just get finessed into... The most obvious penalty you've ever seen coming, like as that's developing, I was like, oh, he's going to uh, he's gonna foul him there and they're going to get a penalty. Like it was literally like that. I think that game ends nil-nil. Breaking down low blocks is hard, even against mediocre teams. And when you get an early goal, that's how you wind up with three, four, five, and so on. Um, and, and so it could have been on this day. Now we did, um, but, and by the way, congratulations to Mikel Arteta on his 100th win. It is a remarkable achievement to... Uh, have accomplished at this point. There was once upon a time, I think many of us may have been worried, was he going to get to this point? But he's done it in style, and we can certainly celebrate that a bit more another time. Um, so, Tim, I actually think that the first goal that's offside is a little bit of a sign of things to come. It's a nice mm-hmm. back-to-front move. <clears throat> Shaka with a really lovely ball into Martinelli, who I want to say times his run really nicely. You could see he tries to hold it. He knows he can sprint past him. How can you blame a guy for being, you know, a big yeah. toe offside? He thinks he's yeah, held yeah. his run. And I don't think he does anything wrong there, by the way. I think it's the reward his play deserves because he kind of opens his body and hits it really nicely. It's a great save from Leno and it rebounds in. And while that is offside, I think, I think that's, that's the sign of things to come. I think that was when we started to figure it out. And it's just, you know, a, a, a look at the, the other kind of goals that we, that we created throughout the game.
3: Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's the moment that Martinelli realised he, quote-unquote, had Tete mm-hmm. um, at fullback. And what, But what was even more interesting to me about this, the camera, I mean, this is a reasonably obvious thing to do, right? But the camera cut to Arteta once it was disallowed and he was like waving his arms and motioning. And, do you know, I, I really think we learned something from Leicester because you were in the stadium earlier after yep. that goal got disallowed against Leicester the whole half died. Like it just died. The stadium died. The game Fans died. Fans players. Yeah. 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 And I think this time, I think they learned something from that. I think Arteta was very much like, look, don't let that happen again. Take this as a sign that you've got them. Don't let the disappointment and the, uh, you know, kind of swallow you up. So, cause that's what I was worried about. Like I was so happy about that goal because at the, Time it didn't come out of nowhere, but we hadn't opened them up yet. That was the first time we opened them up, and I was thinking, yes, early goal. I, I feel so confident when Arsenal get an early goal, so comfortable, and I was thinking, here we go, here we go. And when it was disallowed, to me it felt like such a dagger. But my immediate thought was don't don't let what happened in the Leicester game. Because in the Leicester game, there was a real confluence of pressure and it felt like it was coming. And then it was taken away from us, and and you could sense that this this wasn't quite the same because there wasn't that same sense that it was coming. But I, I think they really learned something about controlling that situation emotionally. And 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 look, you know, all right, we got them on a set piece, but how did we get the set piece? It's because we opened them up on the left side again. Jaka gets a shot in. Um, You know, we we might have our, well, maybe we won't have the discussion because there's so much else to talk about. But, Mm. you know, maybe uh, on another day we can bank this as our retiring Xhaka thing Mm. where it's like maybe someone who's a little bit better in the box might have had a couple of goals. But, you know, we we get the corner because we open them up again and and get that set piece and we just essentially what we allowed ourselves to do was win this game in a 20 to 30 minute period of utter dominance and that's, that's generally how these things are won it's very rare that even when you win by a big score, it's, it's quite rare that you like have a whole 90 minutes. Usually, you get your dominant 20, 30 minutes, and that's when you've got to capitalize. And we'll come on to it later how I felt when the third goal went in. But yeah, this this it's weird for such a comfortable victory. I still experience this as a bit of an emotional roller coaster that, mm. uh, no, we've had a goal disallowed, and yes, yes, we're 2 0 up. And then, oh my God, why are we not 3 0 up? Come on, you've got to get the third. Goal and yeah, I still and actually. That if you want to add ball. a little
1: twist into the roller coaster, there the oh my god, Ramsdale tried to make it two one right because before <laughs> we get the third, Ramsdale gives it to Pereira. I think it was who who shoots over. So yeah,
3: much. and he, and he had a couple of moments I think where he kind of needed a bit of a scare because he was taking it a bit. too, It was a bit too easy, I think. But yeah, like so, I, I'm really pleased with how they responded to that, and I just think it's. Uh, Maybe it's a coincidence, but I just felt like that Leicester experience really informed how we responded to this.
1: And it's a reminder, too, that when you have a 25-minute period of dominance, you can win a game in that 25 minutes, but if you don't win the game in that 25 minutes, suddenly it can go the other way. From, from the 21st minute to the 45th minute, we were imperious for most of it. Um, but if we had missed our chances, they could have been 1-0 up. Right, I mean, with with the with the Ramsdale error, but instead we get the Gabriel goal, we get the Martinelli goal, we get the Odegaard goal, we nearly get the Granite Shaka sensational move for a goal. We get White to Martinelli at the back post, who shins it a little bit, and <clears throat> and Leno saves brilliantly. Um, I mean, there was just move after move after move, uh, and the Granite Shaka one. Yeah, I wanted that so bad. It was it was a little bit Norwich uh, Jack Wilshirey with the the pinged passes. Um, and it's funny, right? Cause you could criticize Shaq and be like, gosh, he had chances to make this an even bigger game, but he's not really an eight, but to, to his credit, he should have had an assist for, well, the opening goal was an own goal, I guess, but it's ruled out. But then he also plays the beautiful pass to Troussard in the back to front flowing move that leads to the Martinelli goal. Um, I thought he was really good in this game. I thought this game was an example of how good he can be. It just is the reality that his role demands a little bit of of the qualities that Shaka has at the expense of some of the other things you might want that left eight position to have. And, oh, by the way, if we get a Declan Rice to play that position, he will do some of the Shaka stuff. He's not exactly a twinkle-toed forward himself, you know, so it's not like he's going to be um, Santa, Santa cazorla in it around defenders and into the box. Um, so, yeah, just something to think about for the summer, not for now necessarily. Paul, quickly, though, I mean, it's been lost in the beautiful football we play, but the opening goal is a Gabriel header from a corner a Troussard corner. I think corner delivery was great in this game, and, and Tressard obviously, a big factor in that. Um, we're now consecutive games with our center back scoring goals, Saliba against Sporting and Gabriel against Fulham. And I, I, think, I think we are so lucky to have this pair of center backs. And I mean, by the way, then, you know, 15 minutes later, you got Saliba dropping the shoulder, dribbling past two guys and firing a shot nearly into the top corner from 30 yards out. They were on it. Uh, Saliba himself plays a big role in the Martinelli goal, <clears throat> which is a long string of passes at the back and in the midfield, and then it goes back to Saliba, and he's under pressure at the back. And does he float across back to Shaka? No. He pings an outswinger or an inswinger cross to Shaka to send him away. To with send his left. To start. Yeah, with his left. Um, our center backs provide the entire platform for the rest of the team to play the way they do. And on a day when we score three goals, it'd be easy to just talk Tresard and Jesus' return, but I don't want to just do that. Gabriel gets it started with the header. Saliba just dripping sauce all over the game um, after that. I, I think we need to talk about the responsibility these guys take in this game, in this season, for opening the scoring, for allowing us to play the way we do, and I think they're the best center back pairing in the league.
2: Yeah. Um, they are huge Um uh, I, I like to think of them as a marriage. I don't know where mm-hmm. I came up with that from, but they're a happy marriage. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. No one's ever said it before. Um, <laughs> Mikel Arteta should use that analogy. It would be a good one. He, he should. It explains some difficult moments in press conferences. Mm-hmm. He should write mm-hmm. that down and use it. Um, the celebration after Gabriel's. Ju- uh, go like Saliba's all over him, pointing at him, laughing. Like, there's just you see the camaraderie there. The other interesting thing on the, the headed go, I think it's the third co- corner. I think Trossard pings in basically all three of them, all good corners, keeps the pressure on. Um, the first one's a short one, I think to Martinelli, doesn't quite come off, goes out for a corner, a couple more come in. Um, and White is the guy marking Burn Leno on the corner, um, kind of. Uh, using his body to keep him away from the ball. And the where the ball goes is exactly where Leno was standing before he tried to get around white. He has to move to the other side of him. And there's this big gaping hole there. And you realize the, that the VAR officials are listening to this pod going, Oh, we could have ruled it out. We could have ruled it out. <laughs> well, well, he didn't hold his pinky. So yeah, right. there's a, some kind of rule that uh, probably advice the referees gave the teams that if you hold the M- pinky. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And it was kind of interesting as well. I then, having watched the goal, I then ended up doing a bit of a rewatch. And at the start, they're all standing in the tunnel and Bernd Leno's shaking everybody's hand. And it's all very, very friendly. And then they get to uh, the one guy who looks very kind of eyes down and a little, I would say, sneaky was Ben White. It was like that... Mm the Judas just before The Last Supper, he had that kind of shifty look about him. I'm like, he's the guy who's been tasked with doing mean things to Burnt Leno at the corner and feels bad about it because it is him on all the corners who's who's trying to give Burnt Leno a long... A, I don't um, know
1: Ben White that well, but you know he doesn't feel bad about it.
3: <laughs> when, when the cock crows three times, I shall have my hands around your arms so that you can't catch the corner, as the the famous Bible phrase has it.
1: Yes, and yet heavily against the Jesus He is risen stuff at the beginning of the pod, and we've gone straight biblical from there. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's that fired me up. So I'm like, screw it. There's you need to go back to Bible studies. There's Mm -hmm. so much more material in here we can work. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like that. That goal is a a, obviously a critical moment. It comes from a set piece. Uh, I'm sure Nicholas Jover is a bit. uh, Uh, stung by the criticisms of our set pieces on both ends and has been working feverishly to get this going again we're back at it and of course it's it's a big moment that turns things around but like it's pressure it's three corners in a row I remember thinking by the third corner gosh we really should take advantage of these corners it'd be a shame we have lots of corners and get nothing out of it and we ping it in off we go, we're off to the races, but we don't make the mistake of sitting back. That's when we got our teeth into it. Like, mm-hmm. this is what good, good teams do. They take that and they say, go again. And the next goal that we're about to talk about is an absolute work of art.
1: Yeah, and, and I just think celebrating these center backs is important because scoring goals is fun and being an attacking team is fun, but they do have a bit of a high wire act that they are playing. And they're playing it so well. And I love, by the way, late in the game, how hard they worked to protect this clean sheet and how important it was to them. Um, There's a moment, I think it's late in the game, yeah, I'm pretty sure, where Saliba tracks down Dan James. And, like, James has a step on him, and Saliba just easily chases him down and goes to ground and takes the ball off him. Um, Paul?
2: Yeah, and, like, Gabrielle has a big tackle, kind of, 40 minutes ish into the game where he just doesn't clear the man out but it was a clear the man out get the ball kind of tackle but the, the guy jumps over it big big kind of cheer from the crowd it just like they're just so into it and to your point about a high wire act like there are games where these guys look really stretched and they make a mistake here or there i think we know this but you just got to understand, these guys are doing about the toughest job you can ask center backs to do. Yep. Standing on the halfway line, uh, being the last line of defense with what's an attack want? They want all that space behind your center backs. That's what uh, for, forwards against you want. They want all that space. Well, they got it with these two guys, and almost every time they pull it off, um, and on a day like today or yesterday where we had more control and they look a little better. That's great. But like uh, we should bank a little uh, understanding and credit for them for those days in which they're, you know, they are the only thing between us and uh, the great peril.
1: Yeah. And I didn't know where to end that, but you ended it super dramatically. Um, (laughs) I I would say they're not even sitting on the halfway line. They're sitting on like the edge of the attacking third. It's just crazy. Um, Dribbling people and shooting. Tim, the, the second goal is brilliant. Um, and it's funny, right? Because it's it's brilliant except for the finish, which is the easiest finish in the history of humanity. But, like, I almost feel like all the passing and all the moving that we did pulls them apart. And then by the time the Trissard cross comes in, <coughs> the defenders don't really have anywhere to be, right? The defender mm. at the near post, it goes over him. And, I, I mean, look, Robinson does nothing. It's dreadful. But all he can do at that point is go through the back of Martinelli. Um, he's given so up he, at that point. He's kind of given up. Um I think we have to talk Troussard, and, th- and then I want to talk about Odegaard and, uh, I mean, um, uh, Zinchenko and Party a little bit, because I, I think that there's something happening there that, that I'd like to break down. But let, let's talk about Troussard. It's his second mm. assist. But throughout that period, even after that goal and all the way to, to halftime, there's also the Troussard miss. But it's, I mean, it's not a bad miss, right, where he shifts it. I think that was where you tweeted, use your weaker foot, to be fair. Um,
3: no, that was about Shaka. Yeah, yeah.
1: That was Shaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the Shaka shot. Um, because that was his weaker foot, actually. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Uses, yeah. That he uses. It just flies by the the one side of the corner. many
3: reasons I like the play.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, he has the assist for the Odegaard, um, for the Odegaard goal. The funny thing is, I don't think his assists are the best part of his game, right? Like nope. the 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 corner's <clears throat> a good corner, fair enough, but anything can happen there. The assist to Martinelli is sort of floated almost, but You know, they just can't recover. And the one to Odegaard, there's still a lot of work to be done. But it's what he does bringing other people into the play. And I think he is able to ape the Jesus role. And it's funny because when Jesus comes in, what do you see? He's in midfield. He's laying it off with, you know, spin flicks and little reverse passes. And I think Troussard apes that role well and also understands how to switch positions really well. I mean look at the goal, Martinelli's in the center and Trossard's on the left. So I mean, certainly feel free to break down any of the assists, but for me what it is with Trossard is his understanding of space and connection and the way that brings other players into the game. We look I think we look like the Arsenal team we've been more of the season when he's standing there at center forward.
3: Yeah, definitely. It's 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 a real carousel um when he's in there. It's funny cuz like we look like Man City looked last season um, <laughs> and whereas Man City you know they've gone with this fixed striker now and they've almost got the issue that we had with Nketiah just with a, a much better player so like the the payoff is kind of there but yeah he, he promotes that whole carousel thing just look at Martinelli's um, goal contributions r- record when mm-hmm. Trossard is playing is like
1: five and five now
3: yeah yeah and it's it's not a coincidence um, mm-hmm. and 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 particularly for Martinelli, that's so so important that there's that interchange because Martinelli's not really a winger; he's a wide forward. But when Enchetti is playing up front, he has to be a winger. Um, whereas with Trossard, you know the the interchange of positions, and it's not just that Trossard always goes out wide and Martinelli always goes central. That tends to be what happens when Martinelli scores, but it goes the other way. Um, as well. You see plenty of times where, I mean, yeah, the the disallowed goal, Martinelli the one that's out wide. But the thing is with Trossard, like it kind of sounds easy in a way that kind of, oh yeah, he goes off into the left and Martinelli swaps, but that's not easy. Otherwise, like other players would just do that. It's the understanding of when to do it. And given how few games he's had for Arsenal and how few games he's had with Martinelli, for that understanding to form so quickly is, is immense. And it's just... You remember after a certain amount of time under Arsene Wenger, you got that. oh, he's a Wenger player. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd get like Rositski or Hleb or someone like that, and you go, "Oh yeah, Wenger player." And that just became shorthand, and everyone knew what you meant. Like Trossard's an Arteta player. That's um, it's just yep. This guy, this guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to fit into the system. And to be fair, Brighton. I've said this before. Probably a good club to buy from because they have that tactical flexibility and understanding and he played he played as a wing back for Brighton a few times as well um which is you know I'm I'm not sure I'm expecting him to see that role for Arsenal but you know, there, there's there's potentially another another kind of uh, uh, arm to this, but he, he his just understanding of space and when like I'm sure, for example, when inketia plays, I'm sure he's not stupid. I'm sure he's thinking, ah, yeah, I should probably pull over into the left channel a bit more. And but it's it's just easier said than done. Whereas, like, I yeah. think Trossard just has that intrinsic understanding. Of when to stay still, when to move, when to plug gaps um, as they appear, and and yeah, I agree with you. Like uh, basically, they're all crosses. Um, one's a, a set piece, but you know, two crosses from the left wing from your striker—that tells you that they're not kind of staying up front. And yep. when you get that right, that's so hard to play against. But it's harder than it looks to get it right. Otherwise, everyone would just do that. Everyone would do that but they don't because it's hard and usually it takes some time. So it's, it's phenomenal that this guy has been able to come in and do this straight away. And like, honestly, I, it's such a good signing. I, I think Modric will probably go on to be a big star, but, I, th- I think we got the good end of the deal here for, for what we have to do this season. And, you know, look, I don't think Trossard's going to be a busted flush next season either. Like, I think this is such a good signing. I really do.
1: Yeah, he's a good player. He's in his prime. You need some players in their prime. You, you know, I, I we're trying to do this with kids, but the kids are generational kids. You need some players in their prime. And you look at the ones who are in their prime. Zinchenko, mm. Thomas Partey, Trossard. Gabriel Jesus, they're pretty important, aren't they?
3: Yeah. Pretty,
1: I, pretty important.
3: I think, you know? I think like the, the phrase I've used most on this podcast this season is some players make the system and some are made by the system. Mm-hmm. Trossard definitely makes the system. He makes it work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the best compliment I can pay him is just kind of like what you were saying. He just looks like an Arsenal player. Like he, It's almost hard for me to believe he was playing for another team at some point this season. Because it just feels like he's been a part of this the whole way because that's how, that's how well he fits into it. Um, and and I will, I'll nail my cards to the mask. I don't think Modric's going to make it as a star. I, and I could wind up looking really silly on that. I just don't see it. I mean, he's so young, so there's plenty of time for that to happen. But he's not, not as young as Saka. He's not as young as Martinelli, right? Uh, we'll see. But the point is, you're not trying to make – not every signing is about the project. Some signings are about the season especially when you're trying to win a title and there's just no question who was the better signing for that purpose. Paul, I don't want to shut you out of the Troussard conversation, although you know we got a lot more to get to. Um, essentially, I think just to sort of wrap up on this, it's that, you know, some players are the force of nature player, the player that, that can do it on their own. And some players, one of the most important things they can do is make the other players around them better and make the system feels like, feel like it works. I don't think Troussard is going to have too many moments in this season where he just shakes his way past three defenders and puts it in the top corner, although I think that's in his locker. But that's not what you're asking him to do. And I think he's doing something arguably more important, which is the impact he's had on Martinelli, which is the impact he has on bringing the team into it. No, by the way, it takes a lot of pressure off Pakaio Saka, right? We're not sat here talking about Saka having a bit of a muted performance, although I think he was fine, because he didn't have to do everything. Um, in the way it felt like he did a few weeks ago. And I think that, for me, is, is what you get. Zinchenko and Trossard both maybe share that in that their role is about making everybody else come into the game and look better, and he does it brilliantly.
2: Yeah, look, he has a huge advantage. Uh, Trossard is a false nine, because he's a false nine. He's not a nine. Uh, right. All his wiring is about playing in another part of the pitch, seeing the map. like, And he's done it. He's played centrally for Brighton. I haven't Do, watched those games.
1: Sorry, I just... If you're a center back, though, versus going up against an elite striker, don't you think this is a harder day? You don't have anyone to really mark. You're not banging bodies. You're not doing the things as a center back that are, like, comfortable for you, and you don't know who's going to pop up where versus a fixed point that you can kind of key on, you know?
2: Yeah, no, it, it's... it's uh confusing for their back line because tra- the first thing trossard will do is leave his post and um, mm-hmm. he does not want to be standing beside two center backs whereas eddie his whole existence has been how do you play the central areas oh as tim says oh hang on aren't i supposed to do that thing where i get over to the left wing to confuse them a bit yes i must remember to do that occasionally uh, trossard is like what am i doing standing in the middle I'm much more comfortable over where that Martinelli fella is. That's really the spot I want to be. Let me get over there at the earliest possible moment. And so he's going one way. Martinelli's coming the other way. is looking for the chance to kind of do a little diagonal between the two of them. Zinchenko's looking to stand anywhere but a f- where a fullback should uh, in the free spaces. And so for me, Trossard is the first mover, and he's just wired to not be in the center. Like that, there's no nothing about standing in the center that he feels comfortable about. So the first thing he does is he looks for the opportunity 100% of the time to make that move and it stirs the pot. I mean, it will be hard not to think that this style of system is suited to not having a center forward. That's what uh, Pep struggled with, you might say. With Barcelona for so long, not having a striker, does he need a striker? But he puts a striker in, can he? And it doesn't work as well. Like the whole history of this particular system is, and like, is it, uh, I listened to a podcast, uh, it was the Times podcast yesterday, talking about Haaland at City and how brilliant he is and how great he is and how many goals and like you can't fault Haaland and this. And I'm like, yeah, but. They're just not as good, and they're just not scoring as many goals. And I don't think you can look at the two things. Now, they may crack it eventually. They may crack it this season and go on a run where they have the best of both. Positional play and Haaland banging in millions of goals. Jesus said something like average 56 touches uh, per game at City, and Haaland is something like half that. And like that's perfectly fine because he's banging in the goals. But you look at City, and it's not really perfectly fine. And here we are, we're without a centre-forward, uh, and we look, every time Trossard starts as a centre-forward, we look great. We just look like we're mincing them. And it, it, I don't think it's necessarily because Trossard is always great, but he has been. Uh, we've seen Trossard on the left wing not be good for us, not his fault. It was kind of like we had Martinelli, he was struggling, teams had his pinned down, Trossard does that gig he's getting pinned down and it's like okay but you play him at center forward suddenly back lines don't know where we're going to be don't know who to mark there's really no point in marking anybody because he's gone and some other guys coming and you're what a center back is trying to do is work out who's going to show up and when meet him at the train station who am i supposed to meet as martinelli switches inside or maybe not or maybe it's Jaka He's just the first mover stirring the pot, and it works great for our system.
1: Yeah, I'll hit you with a couple of um, stats, by the way. Troussard, first player since Sandy Cazorla to have a hat trick of goals in a season and also a hat trick of assists in a season. And while we're doing stats, I'll hit you with one from Opta Joe. Uh, Arsenal are the first team in the history of English football, as far as I, I think is what his stat said. To have five consecutive London... Away London derbies, one with a clean sheet. Now, that is a pretty specific statistic. but <laughs> You know, when you're racking up accolades, you might as well take
2: them Remember when we used to rack up the terrible stats only yeah. like a season ago? It was all yeah. up to this, that. And we're all like, oh, stop, stop with the stats. I, I want to talk uh, Odegaard party and
1: Zinchenko because I think there's something happening there. But there's also something happening in your pants and we need to talk about it. You're growing hair. And if spring is about anything, it's about renewal. And renewal is about anything, it's about trimming. It's about trimming things back. In fact, trimming things back is good because it helps things stay alive, right? Like shrubs and bushes and trees. You prune them, and that's actually good for them. And I I, I would submit that it would be good for your privates to be pruned. If not pruned, just fully shaved. Let's not prune, let's shave. And let's do it with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 gets you the lawnmower 4.0, which I am proud to say I used just yesterday. It's in the shower. It's just sitting there waiting for me. I almost never need to charge it. And if I do charge it, I can use the uh, wireless charger, contact, or you just slide it in the little stand and it charges. It has, uh, it's wet, dry. It has skin safe technology. So I don't have to worry about uh, nicks and cuts and things like that. Really long battery life. It's got a guard. It's it's just a phenomenal purpose-built trimmer. The Weed Whacker is for ears and nose hair. Ears and nose hair, right? That's it. Uh, the The deodorant is included. The toner is included. The performance boxer briefs, which are the ones I always use when I work out. Yes, I wash them between workouts. Every five workouts, I wash them, I promise. And a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Okay? So you can get all of that. You can clean up your your downstairs area, I guess, is how you might put that. It even comes with a shed travel bag to take it with you when you travel. Save 20% and free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping! With the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. I'm telling you, if spring is about anything, it is certainly about that. But, you know, if your privates are healthy, that's a start, but your mind needs to be healthy too. And I'm proud to say this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't online therapy, it's therapy. It just happens to be online. Some of the benefits include, um, you know, the ability to do this, at a time that works for you, in a way that works for you, okay? It is is a, a, a thing that I feel passionately that we get wrong as a society. Treating mental health differently than we treat nutritional health, physical health, right? Medical health. It's part of your body. It's the most important part of your body and you should take care of it. Not when there's a crisis, before there's a crisis, okay? So, what are you going to do you're going to you're going to get paired with a therapist that meets your specific needs, right? You have the ability to change if it's not working out. You can do it camera on or camera off, right which is great depending on the level of comfort that you feel. Um, you can get someone who's a specialist in your area so i I just think there's a lot of really great things about the way this is done and I would just say, if it is crisis time, you need to do this. But if it's not crisis time, this is the way you stay out of being in a crisis. Flexible scheduling. You know, I mean, I, I think so many people just don't do therapy because life is too too challenging as it is. Trying to get to work, trying to get to activities. BetterHelp makes it easy. So go to betterhelp.com slash vision today and get 10% off your first month. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com/vision. Do it now. Last but not least, sorry it's a, it's a three it's a three-banger day, but it was a three-banger Sunday, so it could be a three-banger Monday. I think that's what they call it. But this one I love, Shady Rays. Real simple. Shady Rays are phenomenal polarized sunglasses. They do custom snow goggles as well. The the, the deal that they're offering is just wild. Okay? You can go to shadyrays.com and use code ARSENALVISION. You get Half off, 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses or more. Okay. And they have said they will replace them if they're lost or broken. The only reason I bought sunglasses in probably the last 15 years is because I lost a pair or broke a pair. They're going to replace them. Reason enough to try it. Like even if you have a, a pair that you love, if you're going to travel, take the shady rays. Cause if you lose them or you break them, you, you're going to get them replaced. It's just like, it's a no brainer to me. And, and the polarization is great. They have tons of great styles. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for a new pair or just return them for free within 30 days. So, it's exclusive for, for you guys. Shady Rays giving out the best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ArsenalVision for 50% off. Two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. ShadyRays.com. Promo code ArsenalVision.
2: Paul! Is that another? Indeed. Uh, I, that is brave coming to me. Surprise! That, 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 just sh- with a No, nope. I know,
1: I know. I gave, I gave, I gave you the chance. I gave you the moment, and and you thrived. Let's not ruin it, <laughs> Tim. Yes, <sighs> the it's hard to say what our system is. Right, 423. Four, Who knows? It's like two three five or two three two three, or uh, you know, WM whatever you want to call it. But the guys that are facilitating this are Zinchenko and Party, and I think Odegaard gets in that group too. And if you look at the Mm -hmm. stats from the game, it's interesting, right? Because uh, let's look at, yeah, Zinchenko. uh, So Odegaard had 75 touches. Party had 74 touches. And Zinchenko had 57, but in 71 minutes, right? So you're looking at about 75, on on pace for about 75 touches. Almost Mm -hmm. identical. And I, I don't think that's an accident. The... The technical level in that group is so important because if you try to come press this in midfield, if you try to come contest those areas, party can step past you. I mean, there was that moment at the end of the game where he's got two... Fulham players closing in on him, one behind him, and he drags it back and turns and sprints away. And even the Fulham fans are ooing at it. It was incredible. Um, you know, Zinchenko just pops up wherever he's needed. So Thomas Party knows wherever I am, I can look because Zinchenko will be two yards away from me. And Odegaard will be two yards away from me. And you can't, you can't guard those guys. There Odegaard had a, I think it was for yeah, for the Tresard mischance in the box. Odegaard did some kind of ridiculous flick. I'm not totally even sure what it was, the technical level of those three in the middle of the park make it impossible for teams to contest that area. And they were at the absolute peak of their powers in this game.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, this is probably a slightly simplistic way to describe it, but I'd say like party controls the space and Zinchenko controls the ball. Um, And and like, obviously, party's really good on the ball as well. Um, And Zinchenko's... (sighs) A great appreciator of space. That's how he's able to pop up in all of these places. But I think very broad, like very broadly and a bit crudely, that's what happens. Like Zinchenko has all the brush strokes with the ball. He's fantastic on it. As you guys mentioned in the instant reaction, I think it was Paul. Actually, he's got a lovely disguise on his pass. It's very difficult to know where he's going. Like he doesn't give anything away with his body shape. I bet he would be a great penalty taker by the way, um, because of that. And, and so, you know, he, he brings all that. And then party in, in this game in particular, it just really jumped out at me. The extent to which he just suffocates teams because of the way he's able to just jump out of midfield and swallow the ball up. The, the second it looks like the other team are going to build some momentum or go forward, if there is a slight loose ball, bang, he's out. He swallowed it up. He's so good technically that you can't get the ball back off him again and Arsenal are away again. And and just the amount of the, the extent to which those players are able to keep teams under pressure... That's that's where things have really changed in this quote unquote project, um, and part like dropping party back into that position was the first part of it, and we started to see it last season. But bringing Zinchenko in, and we should consider those two a central midfield partnership. I think essentially, that that's been like a real game changer. Um,
2: and, Tim, and yeah, Tim, for for me, it's almost like he's also added recovery runs. Late in his <laughs> tenure with Arsenal, he does one in this game. We've seen, we mm-hmm. saw just before he had that, uh, that brief period out with his muscle pull where he's like tracking down forwards from behind at speed. That um, sprint
1: that everyone was talking about.
3: Yeah. 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 He's like, got such a long stride, um, on him and the way he's able to, he, he's just got this really nice tackling style as well where he kind of nicks the ball he never slides in he never he either gets his body between the player and the ball or he's just able to get a foot like
2: Telescoping,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I kind of loathe to make the comparison, it's very Vieira esque. That, that's exactly how Vieira used to cover the ball, recover the ball. Like you'd think the player's gone, and then all of a sudden, go go gadget leg comes out, extends <laughs> to, to about six or seven feet, it seems, and then just scoops the ball away. And then it's forward we're forward he either takes on a couple of yards or or he's punching the ball between the lines again and And it's it's like it
2: kills off hope in in the other team maybe that's projection but you get this idea that it's like fuck even when we got the better side of them even when we're past them They take the ball off us.
3: Yeah, precisely. And, and Odegaard's a big part of that as well. I mean, we can all see what that guy can do on the ball and, and it's incredible. And he, he pulls out the, uh, the, well, he tries to pull out the elastico as well in the second half, um, known to some people as the flip flap where you spin the ball on your boot. It doesn't quite come off, but he's just got all that insouciance in tight spaces to try that stuff and swap the ball between his feet. Like, you know, you can see he can do all of that and he can pick the passes. But the thing that really um, jumped off the screen at me in this game that perhaps you, you, you notice it more when he doesn't play for a game is the pressing. And I know you mentioned it on the the Post-Lisbon podcast, Elliot, like how quickly he either starts the press or just gets across to his man and blocks those passing lanes. And yeah, Zinchenko and Partey, like when the other team have the ball, it's almost like, you know, that kind of, um, uh, I don't, I don't know what the term for it is, but like the fire blanket, you know, <laughs> like there's a big fire <laughs> yeah. starting and then you throw the fire blanket over it and then nope, that's it fizzled out. And and that's kind of what it feels like. But Odegaard is part of that as well. But obviously his technical level on the ball, he draws players to him, and he can cope when he's got two or three players around him, absolutely no problem at all. And and actually, I think it sometimes helps him because he can drop that shoulder, get the ball on his left foot, or go outside to Saka. And and yeah, I, I think you're right. I think those three um, are, are so so important to what Arsenal have been doing this season.
1: Yeah, well said. And I I just think you know there there's a famous quote in American politics: it's, it's the economy, stupid. For me, with football, it's the midfield stupid. Like, I I really don't think there are good teams that have bad midfields. I, I, I'm i sure there are, and I'm sure people will inundate me with examples, but I really think if you win the midfield, if you have a technical level in the midfield that teams can't, can't contest that area, can't win in that area, you can win. I think when we were at our low ebb, we were easily pressed in midfield and struggled with it. Um, you look at how well Shaq is doing now – it's because he doesn't have to dance around pressure in a double pivot, you know, sitting deep. He doesn't have to take the ball off Ramsdale facing his own goal under immense pressure. There are guys better suited to that who do it and turn and wriggle out of pressure and cool as you like. And he does all the other stuff he can do that he is good at. When we we were vulnerable to being targeted in midfield, those were some of our darkest times. And right now you want to target us, good luck. Good luck to you. Because you're, you're not, you're not going to get close. You're going to get played past, and Fulham did time and time and time again. And then then you get into space. And whatever struggles we had against a low block, you get Martinelli in space. You get Saka in space. You get Trossard in space. You get Odegaard with the ability to make a second-man run with defenders running back towards their goal, and look what happens. And there were so many chances to make this four, to make this five, to make this six. Um, Odegaard blazed one over from a good Nelson cutback, actually. I believe it was a good Nelson cutback. Um, uh, Martinelli played in Shaq, but it was a little heavy. It was right to the keeper. There was a... Um, White had an in-swinger to Martinelli at the back post. Beautiful. And, and Martinelli shins it, and it's well-saved by Leno. I think I mentioned that earlier. There were, there were chances. There were lots and lots of chances. Um, so, I think we have to get to the, the headline of the whole game, though. We've taken almost an hour to get there, Paul. I'm not going to use it now. I'm not going to go with a pun. I'm just going to say it. Gabriel Jesus is back. And it's not just the fans who have to be lifted by this. I really believe for the players, this is a shot in the arm. Uh, he and Vieira come on in, And I think Vieira will have feel, felt a bit aggrieved to have not kept his place after his midweek performance. And I think, I think Vieira did something so important in this game that, that Arteta might have to pick him now every game. He got a call from the referee that he did not deserve. And if he can do that, we need that in our team. But all kidding aside, one of the funniest things I've ever seen led to a great um, Arteta, Arteta finger wag when Vieira trips himself up in acres of space, no one nearby, and the ref gave, gave him the foul. And it's like, of all the calls we needed this season, that's the one you're going to give us 3-0 up in the 90th minute or whatever the hell it was. And Arteta goes with the finger wag. But, um, Paul, I had mentally prepared myself for the idea that Gabriel Jesus is going to need time to look like Gabriel Jesus. Don't get freaked out if the touch is rusty. Don't get freaked out if he's not banging bodies with defenders and winning 40s, 60s. Just let him get up to speed. Well, as everybody knows, I'm a moron because he didn't need that at all. Um, He did a spin for the chance he doesn't finish. By the way, what's the best sign that he's back to himself? Five minutes in, he has a big chance missed. Um, But Paul, like for that big chance that he misses, he does a spin flick to set Vieira free that is out from another planet. He sends in Nelson, who probably could score, but instead cuts back. He wins 50-50s. He's banging bodies. And of course, he does have the big missed chance, which is the purest sign that he's back. I thought this was, and I realize we all want him to be great, so we're prone to going over the top, but I really thought this was a vintage 20 minutes from from, uh, Jesus. I should say 13 minutes from Jesus that, to me, looked like he had never been gone. It was really encouraging.
2: Uh, Yeah. Like, you have a picture of him. You think he's going to come back and pop. Um, You think he's going to have an impact. Uh, And then he does that, and you're like, wow, I had completely – I thought I had the picture. I completely underestimated what an impact that guy has when he's in the pitch, when when he's within that team. Um, It was just – my jaw dropped. He was run, he was running at a different speed and intensity and physicality just in the small things he was doing before, before he'd even done anything. I'm like, holy crap, I'd forgotten. That's what it looked like. Um, yeah, I, I think when you're in this squad, in this team, like the only thing you care about at this time, at this point is that your team, that this thing you're part of goes all the way, gets, wins the big one, get, gets you there. And like, I think your calculations as to whether you're a starter or not at any particular moment, there's a point at which it's just about like lifting the team. We, we're in, still in two competitions. You see that guy come in and I think everybody in the team says, oh, thank God. Just that little bit of pressure lifted that it won't have mm-hmm. to be you every time, every game that does the big thing. This guy is there now, and you have a piece of the pie you don 't have to do the whole pie um I think psychologically it 's huge, absolutely huge that he came back as we talked about with the bench. Tim talked about eloquently like we and i you actually you mentioned the other side of this in the instant reaction Elliot that like just a couple of games ago it 's funny how the bench starts to look a little thin with an injury. Or two here while you're waiting for a couple of bodies back and suddenly you look at our bench uh, with these guys assuming everybody assuming the bench is wooden and people keep uh, knocking on the wood Um hmm. this is a pretty damn good bench going into this critical phase we've got an interlull which we hope works in the positive sense rather than negative sense that everybody makes sure they don't play for their national team and if they've to travel they don't get any minutes and we come out of this international lull uh interlull unlike the last one with everybody actually charged up focused like the last one was about going to a world cup getting getting positioned getting getting in the frame for that this one players are going to go away uh if they have to go thinking i want to be 100 ready for when i get back to win the big one And so I'm hoping this is one more moment where Arsenal will come out of the interruption, not losing pace, but gaining a pace. Because our bench Mm -hmm. right now, with this guy back in the frame, he was absolutely fantastic in those 13 minutes. And I think think it's a shot of electricity through this team as they look. Instead of the run-in being something that's a bit scary, they're feeling strong.
1: Yeah, well said. I mean, Tim, it's so important to have him back. It really, I, and you could see it. And I, what a luxury this game was. We really, 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 really did exactly what we needed to do. Because first of all, Zinchenko and Saka off at seventy minutes, you have seventy-two minutes. That's a nice luxury. Martinelli and Trasard off at seventy-seven minutes. You get to bring Jesus in with enough time to get a feel for the game, but not in to rescue it. You're not throwing him on as a Late roll of the dice, come you know, come be our savior. He says again, not leaning into any kind of biblical or religious association there. Um, it, and
3: we didn't have to crucify him for that miss at the end, you know.
1: Nailed it. Um, now, th- there you go. Uh, had it. It was so close, but the, the morning brain wasn't there. Um, but you know what, Tim? Like, I think I was trying to decide what do I want to see from Jesus to feel good about him being back. And I think the thing I wanted to see is him putting himself into contact. You know what I mean? Cause that his game is about not avoiding contact. It's about inviting contact. His game is about being willing to get in there and, and win those duels. And he did it, he did it. And he did it not just well, but with a touch of class. I mean, I really implore anybody who doesn't remember it to go back and look at the move where he misses the big chance. It is a phenomenal little spin flick that he does to, to send Vieira in. And it's, while riding contact, so to speak. Like, it, it was just a performance from Jesus that said to me that if he needs to just start a game soon, we can expect a pretty high level. Now, he may only have an hour in him. That may be the issue yeah. more than than anything. And I, I may be projecting, uh, based on my body insecurities, he looked maybe slightly chunkier to me. Um, you know, but it's hard to stay athlete fit when you have a couple months where you're not allowed to run or do anything like that. I'm sure that'll fall off him in two seconds, which... Let me tell you, kids, as you get older, that's not how that <laughs> works anymore. Um, but but so just just really, really hugely encouraging. And um, I, I joked on the instant reaction that Mikel Arteta told a phenomenal lie at full time after saying that, you know, he, he Jesus convinced him today was the day. And then he said, now he has to earn his place in the team like any other player. And I was like, okay, buddy, you don't, you don't have to say that. No, I mean, he he looked like someone who, as soon as he's fit enough, he has to come
2: right back in. To be yeah. fair to out, um the question from the uh, journalist was, which player needs to be dropped for Jesus to come in? <laughs> yeah. which,
1: and by the like, way, I, I wouldn't want to have to answer that either because I have no idea who that player should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: and that, that's where there's interrelation here between Trossard's yeah. performance, and you're right, Elliot, this was the perfect scenario to bring Jesus back into don't think he's going to start on thursday i wouldn't start him but on thursday he might need to rescue the game that that might be the or we might not have scored yet it might be 65 70 minutes and it's 0-0 1-1 whatever like we we i think there's a higher chance that that might happen um and so what's encouraging is you look at what he did when he comes on against fulham and i think yeah if if on 65 minutes on Thursday we're not a goal or two in front uh, or we're behind or we're chasing or whatever, yeah, I, I feel a lot happier about the idea. Like Realistically, I think what Trossard's performance does is means that until the international break, we can just look after Jesus. And I think he can be on the bench for the next... Assuming Trossard's all right, because obviously he had his own fitness questions like... We can just keep that going till the international break. Jesus has not been selected for Brazil. That's another two weeks to train. Maybe get a behind closed doors game in or something, and then straight after the international break, we can we can you know certainly throw him back in. I think, and then yeah, then we've got competition, haven't we? Because Trossard's going to be difficult to leave out, and Martinelli's difficult to leave out. You can't leave Sacre. You know, like you suddenly from going from oh my god, how do we make this front line work? It's, oh my God, who do we leave out um, and how do we manage that? And ro- you, you get the chance for short rotation and substituting players and managing minutes and and all of that good stuff. So, But the, I, I, I guess I didn't have the same level of doubts. Arteta said something interesting, didn't he, about like, oh, I thought he needed a couple of extra days, but then I looked him in the eye. Um, the day before the game, and thought, "No, you're ready." The the thing is about Jesus. I don't think he knows any other way to play. Basically, so I think that I don't think there was ever going to be a sense of him easing back in. I think what Arteta said is probably accurate. That like, right, you're ready to go and be Gabriel Jesus. I don't think Gabriel Jesus can do managing the game. I don't think he can do like. Oh come on! Yeah, exactly. That's because
1: just, honestly, I think that's how you get hurt. I think that's yeah. how you you know turn an ankle or pull a muscle when you're not going full full. Board. Yeah,
3: yeah. But even like you know, Clive's talked a lot recently about Saka and the way he'll play in the Europa League yeah, game. Like yeah, Saka's yeah. smart enough to be like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go full tilt. But I'm, you know. Not within myself, but, you know, a little bit. I'll hold back a bit. Like, Jesus can't do that and shouldn't do that because that's not who he is. And I think that's what Arteta was driving at. It was like, I was never going to play like the Gabriel Jesus. Like, Gabriel Jesus doesn't do 80%. Like, it's full throttle. And he wanted to make sure that he had Gabriel Jesus ready to, like, you know, run through landmines um, to get the ball. Like, that. that's that's who he is um and because you know maybe by the by the looks of it right we've been managing this situation for a little while and maybe even a fortnight ago jesus could have been on the bench or 10 days ago or something like that but i think they've been holding him back for we know how who this guy is and how he plays and he's not gonna do like 10 minutes holding back when it's three like when he's on the pitch he's gonna He's going to go for it. I think that's what Arteta was driving at. And I think that's what we saw. We saw like, you know, there is no diet, Gabriel Jesus. There is no, <laughs> I can't believe it's not Jesus. It's just like, <laughs> it's, it's full fat or or nothing, um, basically. So um, I, I think that's what we saw. And I think that's what, what Arteta has been kind of managing
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. I did tell you though that I think that will fall off him very quickly, that full fat when he gets back up to speed in training. I'm kidding. Uh, Paul, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Mikel uses him and works him back in because we have two games this week. Well, you know, in the next seven days, we got the, the Europa League and then we have Palace at home. And then there's two weeks because there's Ninterlo. I think the inclination would be to be careful. But also you want to give him time, right? You know, what you don't want to do is use him five minutes on Thursday and five minutes on Sunday and then two weeks of no football, and you almost have to start him back over again. I think now that he's back, you want to give him 20 minutes on Sunday. You want to give him an hour, uh, uh, 20 minutes on Thursday. You want to give him an hour on Sunday so that he's got the feel of the game before the interlock rolls around. But to me, these next two Premier League games, Palace at home and Leeds at home, might be the two most important games of our season because – City don't play next weekend and then they have Liverpool now Liverpool just lost to Bournemouth I'm not expecting Liverpool to get anything from City but if they're going to drop points that's one of the games that could happen and that gives us a chance to go eight points clear with a game City would have a game in hand but eight points clear having played a game more and then potentially 11 points clear if we can beat Leeds and if Liverpool can beat City again with the caveat in place that I don't think that will happen with City but very, very important because as we know, once we get into April, then it does get tricky. And so we need to take advantage of a period where we look like there might be some advantage to take. Everybody's going to want to know who's going to get dropped. It's not really dropped, is it? It's not dropped. It wasn't dropped when Liverpool picked Jota over Firmino or, or you know, Diaz over Mane. It's not dropped when you have players that caliber. But I guess it's, how's it going to be managed? And my assumption is that Trissard and Martinelli will share time on the left when Jesus plays, and Trissard and Jesus might share some time up front when Jesus isn't available. How would you approach the next two games with Jesus? And in general, do you think we just go back to that, you know, that sort of standard that Saka starts on the right, Martinelli and Trissard share the left, and Jesus... Starts, or do you think maybe, maybe, maybe in a period where Saka is trending towards four thousand minutes in a season, we might even see a Martinelli on the left or uh, on the right, or a Trissart on the right, and give Saka the opportunity not to have to play every game.
2: Um, my guess is Saka will play every game. Um, he <laughs> Terrific.
1: is. I mean, you're probably right,
2: yeah. Football's easy for him, and there'll be games where, as Clive has talked about and we referenced here, he kind of plays a little bit within himself to be on the pitch for key moments um, while the left side goes crazy, and he waits for something to swing in his side so he can do something dangerous with it. Um, Like, he can just, there are players who can just play and play and play and manage themselves and he's one of those and like you don't want to change the dynamic on that side even if it's not a game where it's absolutely firing or a game where he needs to be gangbusters White, uh, Odegaard and Saka just have an understanding that allows the team to tick along Saliba on that side like party tends to stick to that side so there's no need to do anything crazy or different there and you keep that ticking along. On the other side, I, I I think it's going to be very much one game at a time, not just in terms of performances and wins. It'll be, what do we do with Gabriel Jesus? I, I suspect they don't have the plan we're talking about. What should they do for the second game? He comes back here. You know, I, they have a plan that they're formulating for Crystal Palace. Um, after that, I think it's... Absolutely one game at a time. They don't know what they'll do for Leeds. And it'll be how he's responding, how the break went, all that kind of thing. Um, I am 100% sure that we're into ruthless territory and he's going to do whatever's right to win the games as they come along. And that's probably starting Gabriel Jesus after the interlull, assuming everything has gone as well as planned. And yeah, the other guys, I think they're going to be fine with the idea that Martinelli will start some games. Trossard other games. Uh, maybe as you say, there'll be like you can just sub guys early. It's there's no Martinelli yeah, had a fantastic. Games. I can yeah. hear
1: Clive screaming at this podcast saying it's not about who starts.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Martinelli's uh, uh, rejuvenation was as a. I don't even remember the game. It was a couple of games ago. He comes on as a sub after. Trossard I think and he just lit it up and it was his game he was the hero of the game they're not going to care if they get 30 minutes getting 5 minutes at the end of it game after game is going to piss you off but but getting 30 minutes coming on being the hero tearing into target teams like they know the big picture here they know they're going for the big one Um, but yeah it's on that left side you could play Martinelli Trossard different looks against uh, the same team later on in the game it's it's one of those not a problems we'll unfortunately the europa league this will be the year we're probably going to win the damn thing because we're trying to lose subtly lose each two leg tie you know we're going to the final you know when we're in the final we're going to win it and we're going to win the premier league with here's another aspect we're going to be potentially we could get to 11 points ahead of man city which would be a beautiful thing They've been looking up at us since the third game of the season. We have Yeah. I had to go and check it to, to make sure I hadn't missed something here, but we've been the top of the league for whatever it is, 27 game weeks at this stage. At some stage you just start believing it. At some stage you're not the young team, you're not the kids. You got enough maturity in there. You got Jesus back, you got Zinchenko, Party and Odegaard just bossing it in the midfield. You got Gabriel Saliba as your centre backs, and you're like, "What are you to be super, super nervous about?" You got Saka. Like, oh my god, we've got a kid on the right wing. It's Saka. Oh, we've got a kid on the left wing. It's Martinelli. They don't care. They don't care. What's there to be super nervous about? Is just like you want it so
1: bad. Right, it's not yeah, that you sure. don't think you're good enough. Like at some point, I agree with you, Paul. It's not so much that you think you you're not good enough, but the fact of the matter is, at some point, the the desire to have the thing sure. creates the nervousness about losing the thing.
2: Yeah, right? but the problem um, is you when you check. Yeah, yeah, but the problem is when you check the other side of the coin and you don't. Be- when you you look around you and like, but maybe we're not quite good enough, and you look around this team. Uh, as Martinelli on the left wing, and you, you look around, you see Zinchenko, Party, Saka, Odegaard, uh, Gabriel Jesus, Trossard behind you, pushing you. Like, who on this team doesn't think they've got enough? It's yeah, just no. such a good team when you look around it. You look around that dressing room. It's not like last year when you look around the dressing room with 10 games to go or 5 games to go, had we been league leaving leading the league. You look around this dra- dressing room with you know 11 games to go and you're like, shit, yeah.
1: No, I I I totally agree with you. And and my point wasn't to disagree so much as I don't yeah. I don't think all nervousness comes from an insecurity, right? It can come from a desperation uh to do the thing. Sure. Tim, that leads to to Thursday, and like this was a brilliant game. I think sometimes you can look at substitution patterns as a a, a bit of a hat tip to what's going to happen yeah, in the future age, a as, a, as a as a clue. That's a better English word for that. Um, <laughs> clue is the word he couldn't think of. Everybody, uh, Wordsmith over here. So, I wouldn't shed a tear if we crashed out of the Europa League, mm-hmm. but I don't <clears> want <throat> us to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's a good thing if it ha you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it would be good, right? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I would care, but I don't think it would be good. I realize that there are people that feel very, very strongly that winning begets winning and that losing can beget losing and that you don't mm-hmm. want that to happen. I'll admit I'm fully on the fence about that and I'm not sure I agree with that, but I, I acknowledge that I think it's probably worth trying to win the, the Europa League, especially now that we look a bit deeper and you can rotate, but that, then requires you to actually rotate. And given that we drew the away leg and there is no away goals rule, it is a bit on a bit of a knife edge. I believe given that party played 90 minutes against Fulham, that Jorginho will get the game. I think that's one thing we can look at as a sign. Um, I think some of the players that came off earlier might be a sign that they're going to start. How would you like Mikel to approach this midweek game? Versus, how do you expect him to approach
3: this midweek? I hate that you ask me that because because <laughs> the real answer is I don't know. Because um, th- this is a much better topic to discuss in an audio format than it is to um, put in black and white on social media because, like, mm-hmm. the number of people who just refuse to see the nuance. <laughs> so, I tweeted this morning like you know, em- emotionally, my focus is like ninety percent on Sunday. And that's not saying that I think that's what the club's focus should be, what Arteta, the players, blah, 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 just emotionally. Yeah, can I stop
1: you for a minute? Just yeah, real quick. sure. Did you see the celebration picture they took in the dressing room yes. the whole time? So yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And, and I think With Richard Keyes retweeted it. He was really happy about it. But yeah, I mean, that's a big celebration picture. They obviously brought a freaking clock to the Fulham dressing room, and they're probably carrying that clock around. And it says 11 to 2. You have two months to go, 11 games left. I would say emotionally, Tim, they are in the same place you are. I'd be yeah. willing to bet they they are in the same place you are in.
3: Yeah, yeah. Paul, sorry, were you going to come in did on that you, did you before? On?
2: Yeah, so like there's the whole thing about the emotion and it's a young team and getting too excited. What I think is particularly impressive about our emotional celebration energy thing is like – this is all within the team and within a box. It's not like individual players going rogue, talking, getting ahead of them, talking to everybody who put a microphone in front of them. Uh, I was thinking about it yesterday. I've seen less mature versions of this and the, like everybody's off script and everybody's super excited. These guys are all on script. This Speaking is, of that,
1: did, did you hear them? In the, uh, I think three different players said we have to earn the right to win. Yeah. And one game at a time. I mean, yeah. it is like he's like passing around interview scripts because they're <laughs> they're all repeating the same lines. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So like this is a group mind. He's leaned into the energy of a young team. It's very hard to tell. A, it's just not realistic to tell a young team not to be excited. To you haven't won anything till you've won anything, kind of thing. Like they'll have those discussions, but this is not a bunch of guys who who are getting over excited. Agree. Yeah. premature celebrations. You, you've stuff. got to
3: like you've got to harness it and that's something Klopp was re- you know, we get all the Pep City um comparisons, which we kind of pedal ourselves as well, and that's for obvious reasons. But there is a bit of Klopp Liverpool here as well where it's like it's about managing the energy, not like too many people look at it as neutralizing or like, no, you've just got to use it and channel it correctly. And that's, that's what I, I think we're talking about. But in, in terms of like Thursday, l- look, the honest answer is I don't know because emotionally I I I'm with you, Elliot. I'm just not as in, Im- but I want us to win. I will go to the stadium. I will cheer for us to win. I will want us to win. I, it's really I'm really nice you, of you. Really, yeah, really yeah. good. Of you. If, and <laughs> if we don't, This will be the easiest Europa League exit to accept. I was devastated, obviously, after the final, after Villarreal, after Atletico Madrid, after Olympiacos. I was devastated after all of those. I really wanted that trophy, and not just because of the Champions League thing. I wanted and still want a European trophy. Like If you tell me we're going to win both of them, brilliant i will be all over that but i i am invested in the league to a level i've never been invested before because there was a period under wenger where we were in these types of positions but it happened every year basically so like you don't become inured to it but you expect it this is very different this this is the most i've been invested in the league since 98 um where probably something similar happened and and so I'm emotionally I'm kind of all over the place with Thursday because I don't want the players to th- feel like I feel I, I'm sure you're right to a degree they must but I want them to be fully focused I'm not even convinced that going out whether going out would be good for us or anything like that but once you get into the weeds and you look at some of those games we have got in April and May and there's a big part of me that's looking at them and going oh, I'm not sure I want Europa League games mm-hmm. <laughs> thrown into that mix but I also kind of think, well, cross that bridge when you come to it and all of that. I mean, I don't know. There should be some measure of rotation. I don't think it's going to be in the forward line. Um, so, Jorginho in for party, definitely. Tommy Asu maybe in for Ben White. Like those types of changes I'd be so comfortable with. Like Tommy Asu for Ben White. Tierney. Fine. Tierney coming in. I, again, I don't think that's going to happen because Zinchenko came off early and yeah, the, the measure minutes. of control he gives us in midfield I think is just something that Arteta struggles to see us without, um, to be honest. But, yeah, I you know, a, f- a few changes um, basically. But I, I, I'm with you. I'm thinking about Sunday. I, I really am. And maybe I'm wrong but look, the heart wants what it wants, Elliot. And sometimes what your heart wants and where your head's at, do not tally with pragmatism and logic. And that's why it's such a difficult thing to say on social media because everyone's like, you hate us and want us to lose. It's like, no, 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 no. Or people come back and they're like, Oh, but like the team can't do that. And it's like, I oh, know I'm not saying the team should do that. I'm telling you where I am emotionally. And I'm being honest with myself and you about where I am emotionally. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's illogical, blah, blah, blah. But emotionally, that's where I am. And like, you can't really change how you feel. You can change how you think you can't change how you feel. And that's how I feel. And so to be honest, a bit like the first leg. I'm, I'm not going to go mad over the starting lineup, no matter what it is, because to be honest with you, I do not have any idea how I would approach this in Arteta's shoes. I really don't.
1: Weird disclosure behind the scenes here, though. Um, when we got together last weekend and you had a few bombs, you did say, I hate us and want us to lose, which I thought was weird. Um, but but all, all kidding aside, those very same people that would round on you on on social media for giving your truth, if Jesus starts Thursday and does his knee again and and is out the rest of the season. They'll be like, what was he doing using him in Europa League? Right? I mean, like that's the point, right? We all think they should play every game until something happens in the game that's less valuable, and then we all think it was a giant mistake and he obviously should have avoided it. Who would want to be a manager? Because if you heavily rotate and crash out, people will say you should have taken it more seriously. If you don't heavily rotate and you lose an important player in a secondary competition, everyone will say you fucked it. Let me say this. I think the Europa League can provide one benefit, one important benefit. Look, the risk is clear. The more you play players, the more chance there is for players to get hurt. Anybody who denies that is just flat wrong. It's just flat. It is a reality. It's why, by the way, teams in the Europa League tend not to get back into the top four because their attentions are stretched and because you're a Premier League team, you're probably in it late and they're stretched late in the season and that doesn't help you. Look at the record of teams in Europe in the league after a European game. They're not good, especially away. And there's a reason they're not good. Players are tired. Players have a tough time focusing. Mikel Arteta spoke about it in his post-match comments. You know, that he knew that it was hard. We had played Thursday. You know, we needed to start fast and we needed time to get to that point. But here's where I think there's a benefit to the Europa League. Look at the Bournemouth game. You cannot... Weekend in and weekend out have that level of emotion invested in in an outcome. It will tear you to pieces. It's too much. Your nerves will pop. We needed a nice, calm, tranquil win, and we got it. And having that is so important. You can't have outrage and ecstasy every weekend. It's too much. And what I think the Europa League did for us, I think one of the reasons we had the performance against Fulham we did is we didn't play Fulham right after that Bournemouth game. We had a game in between. To be a little ragged and, you know, to take our foot off the gas maybe a little bit and to calm down and get our emotional levels from 120% back down to a nice 75%, right? To get our heart rate back to a normal level. Our heart rate after Bournemouth, and I can tell you this as someone who felt I might have needed a cardiologist, is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And the one thing the Europa League can do, this is going to be a pressure cooker, you guys. I firmly believe last season, If we had Europa League between the Newcastle and Spurs games, we might have made top four because we might have been able to just take a little bit of the pressure off that feeling that it was all on the line every weekend. And I do think that for a young team, getting a game in the midweek slot to, to just ease the pressure valve off? Again, we're going to heavy soft factors here, and I acknowledged already the hard factor risk of injury and fatigue. But, Paul, is there maybe just that slight bit of benefit to having the distraction in midweek so that you can clear your heads, get something like that Bournemouth win out of your mind, and get back down to business at the weekend, not having, not having your heart rate at you know in the red zone constantly nonstop between now and the end of May?
2: Yeah, I mean, personally I I'd, I'd love us to have one competition to f- focus on, have a rhythm, yes. not have yep. to travel. But there like it's not all one way. Um there's benefits. There's players who need games. Um you want Trossard and Martinelli for the rest of the season to be uh feeling engaged, keyed in. We we talked about the instant reaction, you know, where do, where does Smith Rowe stand? And like there's going to be some players who have some big, big moments, big contributions, even if they're not starters. We've seen Nelson um, having his big moment. Tim added uh, Eddie in the in the chat. Like, there's going to be three or four players, and they know their job is when they get their chance to be completely ready, completely tuned in, to come on, we need a goal, there's 10, 15 minutes to 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 go. Smith Rowe comes on, streaks in behind, bangs it in the corner, guides it in. We're off to the races. We're on a charge. Um, and it'll be a brilliant season for Smith Rowe, even though he's barely played. And so the, one of the major things before we get to the final and win the Europa League in the year where it didn't really matter to us, <laughs> uh, will be... These guys feeling cu- clued in, connected, excited. Um, I'd prefer if we only had one competition to focus on, but there are many. There are several big pluses from being in the Europa League, and basically, if you're going to be there, you need to lean into the pluses. Be super smart about your rotations, your use of players. So that when they when their moment comes in the Premier League, when there are ten minutes to go, but they got to do something. They got to get a goal and assist, change the dynamic. They know what they need to do. They're feeling confident. They know their role. Uh, there'll be significant roles to be played by the minor characters, cameos, if you like, uh, in our run in.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I think we've already seen some of those. Reese Nelson, obviously, the yeah. obvious one, but there are more to come. I would just say this I think if you want to really bring everybody into the tent, and make them feel that they could score the winner at the Etihad, right? Or score the winner against Palace or whatever. You got to show them that they can play against Sporting. And that's the tough thing. You want to beat Sporting, I get it. But how do you convince a Smith-Rowe he's, he's important in the group, right? How do you convince Jorginho? How do you, how do you convince Tierney? You play them. You, you play them. And I'm willing to watch Arsenal crash out with Kieran Tierney and we all should be. He's a good player. He should play. I'm willing to watch Arsenal crash out with Emil Smith Rowe. He's a good player. He should, you know, this this should be a level that he can manage. I'm not saying Sporting are crap. I think we saw they weren't crap. They scored a beautiful goal of the weekend by the way. But like there there comes a point where it's not just about resting your starters. It's about having your players who aren't starters play in an important game, not in the 80th minute of a 3-0 win from the start of the second leg of a, of a European tie, you know? So I, I hope he will do that. I think last, last, last thing here, Tim with, with Jesus, you think it's a case he gets another 20 on Thursday and starts against Palace. Do you think that's the plan? I, I I think roughly that's probably it. And I think, I think it's probably, gosh, I, I, it may sound crazy. I, I think Saka might be due for rest, but maybe he will get it Thursday. I don't know. Um, How how do you see that playing out with Jesus? What do you think his integration will be leading up to the international break?
3: So definitely the bench on Thursday, but I think he might get a bit longer because he got his like 15 minutes. It might be half an hour this time. And a lot of that, again, might will probably be interlinked with uh, Trossard as well because he's come back earlier than we expected uh, from an injury and probably requires some management as well. But I am, I imagine in their heads it's like, let's give him 15, let's give him 30, and then it's a case of, do you give him 30 again or do you give him 90? And, and honestly, I think that will depend on Trossard as well because if Trossard plays again on Thursday and he's great, then it kind of at that point it's kind of like, well, I've kind of got to keep him in and it, it gives you a reason to like further, like, you know, to, to integrate Jesus a little bit more slowly. So I, I think it will be tied on into Trossard and how he plays and his physical state as well. If Trossard goes off after half an hour, cause he's done his groin again on Thursday, Jesus is starting on Sunday, I'm sure of it. Um, and, and actually in that, scenario would Jesus be ready for an hour or like that that might be interesting because he probably wouldn't be ready for an hour on Thursday and 90 on Sunday. But I I think Yeah. I, I think it would just depend on Trossard's I, I'm quite confident in his form, but it might just depend on on his kind of physical um his his physical state. My best guess is that Jesus will be on the bench for both games. Um, and that he'll probably get around twenty-five to thirty minutes in both of them. Then another two weeks of training. Like I said, probably a, a, if he doesn't start against Palace, I imagine they will arrange a behind closed doors game during the international break that he does start, so that they can perhaps get sixty or seventy minutes into his legs, so that when we play Leeds on April the first, you know, maybe you can go the full ninety or at least seventy-five.
1: Yeah, and. There's gonna be, there's gonna to be, to your point, Paul, there's gonna be players that play an unexpected important role here. There are also gonna be players that play less of a role than they would have liked. You know what I mean? Like that, that's part of it too. Um, that may be Smithrow. I think we I think we should leave it there. I do want to just apologize to Ben White, who we didn't really touch on in this game and I thought was really good again after maybe being mixed on Thursday at best. Um, but honestly, it was such a good performance. <laughs> you know, I think you could have highlighted anybody. And you would have had a right to do it. We'll leave it there. Um, I assume there will be a rewatch. You know, we're we're trialing a new um, thing for patrons, basically a power rankings episode. Where what we do is we take the top six or seven teams and we sort of power rank them. The big, you know, the big clubs, quote unquote, and power rank them. Talk about what's going on with them. Laugh at United for sure. Um, you know, Liverpool's frustration. We'll, we'll go through all that. So that's something new that we'll try um, to kind of round up some non Arsenal stuff. Although I have to say, it's been so lovely sitting through a Saturday of football, not caring if Spurs win or lose, not caring what happens to Chelsea. Like, we don't have to care. It's it's a beautiful thing. We don't even have to care about United, whose title challenge I feel like is struggling. Maybe just a little, that might not be on you guys. So we'll probably have that. We'll probably have a Fulham rewatch. We obviously have the game on Thursday. We'll have an instant reaction for that. So if you want to join us over there, we'd love to have you. But uh, if not, we're just thrilled to have you here. As I mentioned, uh, more news on live events coming. The Chicago event is announced. I'll put it in the link to the pod. And, oh, by the way, um, uh we Yeah, no, I I I was gonna say something about the fundraiser, but we're still a little bit far out. That's gonna be in April, so we'll leave that for later. Okay, Tim's on Twitter at Stominator. Thanks, Tim.
3: My pleasure as always.
1: Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants, thanks, pause. Woohoo! My name is Elliot. You can follow me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you, and we'll talk to you after our stone 10 Sporting now. <laughs>